This is the On The Banks Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at OTB underscore SB Nation. Now, here's your host, Aaron Brightman. Welcome back to the On The Banks Podcast. This is episode 88, also the second episode since a longtime host, Lance Glenn, has moved on to greener pastures, so we wish him well. And uh, I'm Aaron Brightman, your managing editor for On The Banks. Thank you so much for listening. And today I'm very excited about having Jerry Carino, longtime uh, college basketball writer for Asbury Park Press Gannett News in New Jersey, covering Seton Hall and Rutgers for almost two decades now, uh, has always been, for me, the person that I lean on the most in terms of his takes of, of Rutgers and uh, well before I ever wrote for the site. So I'm excited to have him back. He's been here several times. Uh, we're at the midway point of the Big Ten season with Rutgers basketball. Four and six, uh, just coming off, we're recording this the day after they defeated Indiana on the road. They've now beaten Indiana four of the last five times, which, you know, in its own right, is something to, obviously, Indiana has been down for a few years now. But being that we're Rutgers, it's certainly where we've been at the start of uh, joining the Big Ten. To, to be able to say that is, is uh, pretty enjoyable. Couple of the fact they've beaten Purdue three times in a row now. Uh, they, they've done pretty well against the Hoosier State. But uh, just talking about what's ahead, they're, they're, we think they're going to play Michigan State on Thursday. It's obviously set, but Michigan State has been on pause for the last uh, almost three weeks now. Practice today, Monday, for the first time in uh, over a week and a half. Tom Izzo said he expects uh, the, the team to play. It was not a full team practice. They have held individual workouts and conditioning and stuff throughout this break. But uh, it's certainly an opportunity for Rutgers to finally get off the schneid against Michigan State. They've never beaten the Spartans and, and have come close several times. Obviously, were embarrassed in East Lansing earlier this season, which which really uh, compounded, got this losing streak rolling that they that uh, after the emotional loss to Iowa. So this is a big game for many reasons. Just wanted to briefly mention. Obviously, we're in the middle of, of a global pandemic still. But a little bit of signs of normalcy. Uh, some of the Olympic sports are starting to uh, get back uh, in the Big Ten. There's been some announcements in the last week. Men's soccer and women's soccer, which obviously had their seasons postponed in the fall, are going to have an abbreviated conference-only season kicking off in February. We'll have more on that coming up. Rutgers Wrestling now uh, have missed a second scheduled match against Penn State. Uh, lost a heartbreaker to Ohio State uh, on Sunday. Uh, we'll have more coming up with that coverage this week about where they are but uh some encouraging performances uh john poznoski freshman registered a big upset on the mat and uh he has a bright future ahead so in terms of other sports uh Rutgers track and field uh swimming and diving golf they're all getting back into action men's lacrosse is nationally ranked we don't have a start date for that season but we're hoping to have coach brecht here to talk about the the season ahead uh as things approach in the next month or so Rutgers baseball as well. Again, nothing's been announced, but um, all the spring sports are, are looking like they're going to happen in some fashion. The winter sports, the, the one uh, issue with Rutgers has been women's basketball. They've been on pause now. Uh, it was announced today their seventh straight game will be missed and postponed due to uh, COVID-19 uh, positive results within the program. So we're, we're wishing them all well and hope that they can get back on the court soon. But that's been, uh, in terms of uh, gymnastics, also had their first meet this past weekend. But overall, I think, you know, you have to commend the athletic department for how well they've navigated through COVID-19. You know, I, I won't mention, well, football obviously got through their season successfully. Basketball, knock on wood, men's basketball has, uh, has been successful as well. 
in terms of navigating COVID-19. So overall, you know, obviously, uh, I guess we're in the new normal now for, for everyday life. And uh, it's good to see that many Rutgers athletic teams are, are getting back at it. And we'll have more to come on all those Olympic sports teams as their seasons get underway and progress. But for now, I just wanted to uh, introduce uh, Jerry Carino, longtime college basketball writer, Asbury Park Press, Gannett News. Looking forward to talking to Jerry now. Time to talk to the reporters. Here's your host, Aaron Brightman. It's my pleasure to welcome back to the show uh, Jerry Carino, Asbury Park Press, Gannett News, longtime uh, college basketball reporter uh, in New Jersey, the uh, dean of New Jersey College Basketball. Thanks so much for being here, Jerry. Thank you, Aaron. And I feel old when you say dean, but uh, yeah, that's. I guess that's. It's been 17 years. That's what you get. Well, uh, I could tell you that that I, I read you long before I ever started writing myself. So uh, I appreciate you being here. And uh, just to jump right into things, um, obviously, it's uh, we're at the midway point of the Big Ten season, regular season. Rutgers is four and six. Last season, they were seven and three at the midway point. Obviously not where I think most of us thought they would be halfway through. Uh, just wanted to get your initial thoughts on, on where this team is right now and, and what do you think's happened through these first 10 games? So first of all, I would say they're probably only about two games behind what I thought because hard to, t- hard to compare to last year. The schedule was really front-loaded in the Big Ten this year. As you know, the first half of the schedule was the gauntlet part of the schedule. There's no easy part because the Big Ten is so, so good. Without question, the best conference in the country, and I think the best, the deepest the league's ever been that I can remember. This was the hard part. They're probably about two games behind where they should be. Of course, no one expected this team, a team this good, this veteran, this deep to lose five straight games. No one no one expected that. These things happen. Lulls do happen in the course of a season, though, and it's very easy to get knocked off kilter in a league this good. Here's what I think happened. I've really been thinking a lot about this, as has everybody who follows this team closely. Gio Baker is the heart and soul of the team, right? We all know that. He's the long, been here the longest. He's the captain. He's the leader. He's the point guard. And when he gets hurt in the opener and goes out, they have to reinvent themselves a little bit, okay? So they do that with other guys dominating the ball. And then it works, right? They get hot. They're shooting well. They're clicking. The matchups, matchups probably were very good for in that run. And they win all these – they go in a streak with uh, without Baker or with Baker only as like a marginal guy off the bench. And Steve Peichel, one thing you noticed about him if you watch him closely is he's very superstitious or very consistent – whatever you want to say, in the way he does his starting lineups, in the way he does his rotations. He's reluctant. He he likes to keep things the same. He's kind of reluctant to change things up. Uh, And so things were going well, and he didn't change things up. And then things started to go bad, and he still didn't change things up. I think he was sort of saying, well, this was working. Let's keep it working. And then he came to the rationalization, I think, and we all kind of came to this rationalization that, look, Baker is the guy who the ball's got to be in his hands and the team has to run through him. You got to trust him. And Steve did that against Indiana and it made a world of difference. I know there was all this talk afterwards about the defense, the defense, and the defense was good. But to me, what I saw was a defense that was sparked by the offense because it's hard to play 40 minutes of great D when the ball's not going in the basket. So now the ball goes in the basket because the shots were high, high percentage because the passing was so good. And it all was connected, and it started and ended with Baker. So what I saw was Geo Baker getting empowered by Steve Peichel, getting his groove back, and getting the team back. And that's all really good stuff for Rutgers. 
Well, and I think that it's interesting, too, because if you could look at the Big Ten right now, and I think, is there really a team, Steve Peigel talks about it all the time, but is there a team that's gone through more obstacles in the first half of the regular season than Rutgers on top of that difficult schedule with the injuries they've had? Um, you know, there's only been three games now where the top eight guys on the roster all played together. Now, looking at Ken Palm, you know, they're favored in the seven of the next 10 games in the regular season. Do you think this Indiana game could be a spark? Now, you're playing Michigan State on Thursday. We think Tom Izzo uh, said today he thinks it's going to happen. They practiced for the first time in a uh, week and a half today. You know, Michigan State and then at Northwestern uh, is a real opportunity here for them to, to get on a roll. No, that's the big question, right? Rutgers, look, they really did a good job Sunday. They played a really good game. Indiana played pretty well. Rutgers played really well. And so have they turned a corner or gotten their mojo back? Uh, the key to me, the key phrase in the post game, Aaron, I, I have trained to listen to these things, is when Geo Baker said it's about being good teammates. He said, good teammates. That was like the ding, 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 ding went off in my head. Ding, ding, ding. That is his way. And Steve Peichel, he didn't want to get into this, right? And coaches don't a lot of times. But he just wanted to talk about the defense, defense. Baker told you, this is why it's so great to have senior, upperclassmen, well-spoken, thoughtful guys like Joe Baker. From a reporter's perspective, Baker told you, he gave you exactly what needs to happen. And that is, guys got to start playing better as a team, sharing the ball, looking out for what's best for the team, maybe not for the bottom line or the stat line. And look, it's not does it make them those players bad kids or bad people or even bad teammates. Just sometimes people fall into these ruts when they're playing basketball, right, about this stuff. So Baker was sort of sending a reminder to everybody that if we play team ball, we're as good as anybody. And if we don't, then we can lose to anybody in this league. And he's right. So will they now play team ball now that they've seen that work? I think – Probably it's a good sign. Michigan State, though, is a tricky opponent to follow up on this big win with because they've matched up well against Rutgers. They've had Rutgers' number. Tom Izzo just seems to coach really well against Steve Peichel's stuff. We've seen it over and over. Now, Rutgers has more talent or at least as much talent this year. But Izzo kind of, you know, he kind of set the blueprint against them in that first game. So you don't really you don't really like that matchup here. But the good thing is they haven't played in a long time. So that's what you want. I mean, you get a team coming out of a long pause. That's opportunity for you. So I don't know how it's going to shake out Thursday. But I do feel, I mean, I know Rutgers is not going to get run off the court like they were in East Lansing. They'll play better. To me, they got to get a split this week. A sweep would get them right back on track. But you got to get one of the two games. To me, Northwestern is the, is the easier game for them to get. But you get one of two, and then, you know, they do have a couple more tough games, but the schedule does start to get a lot softer down the home stretch. So talking about kind of the breakthrough game they had against Indiana, obviously roles are changing a little bit. You saw Jacob Young come off the bench. He did a really good job, I thought, in embracing that role. One thing that, that kind of caught my eye was even during this losing streak, you could look at the top eight guys on the team. Every single player had moments of, of playing well at times really accept Montez Mathis, who, who really has had, you know, see Michael praised in the offseason. He had a tremendous start to the season, almost single-handedly won that Purdue game. Uh, he only plays three minutes against Indiana. How concerned should we be that he's um, not going to be able to be a big contributor down the stretch? And, and how much could that potentially be a problem for Rutgers? Well, my guess is he will contribute. I mean, as, as long as, you know, he's on board mentally and, you know, emotionally with everything, because it's hard when you've started – and he started almost every game in his Rutgers career. He's now suddenly has a bench role. That can be difficult to accept for a competitor. 
assuming he he's willing to accept that. Now he's not going to want to play three minutes a game, but assuming he's willing to accept that role, there'll be there'll be moments for him where they're going to need him. I mean, it's an eight man rotation. That's what it is. There's eight guys who got to get it done for Rutgers, and he's going to be one of the eight. I mean, eight is really the right number. Like ten is a lot. You play ten, you know, in a non conference schedule early on. You play ten to see what you got. But the later you get into a season, you shorten your rotation. Eight's a good number. He's got to be one of the eight. I can't read somebody's mind. I mean, is he going to accept that role? You would hope that he does. And I would think that's why Steve Peichel gets paid big bucks, man. He's got to sit down with Matt. I'm sure he's already done this. I said, hey, you played three minutes today. It just didn't work out. It's fine. It's one game. You'll have a bigger role. And there'll be times where we're going to really need you. So I'm sure that conversation's been had. If it registers, which you hope that it does, then he'll be a factor going forward. But... You never know. I mean, you just never know. And that's role allocation and, and lineup management. Look, I'm going to use the, the analogy with Kevin Willard because that's the other team I really cover. It took Kevin four or five years coming from Iona. It's a different thing when you're managing these higher profile, you know, closer to blue chip star athletes. You got It's harder to manage. And Kevin, it took him a few years to figure it out. What to say to the guys how to get role allocation, how to get acceptance of roles. It's an art. Steve, I think he's been figuring that out as he's been at, gotten more talent at you know, Rutgers, gotten better players. He's figuring that out. And this will be a good test of how he handles that. But I will say this. What Willard has said to me, and I think Michael's kind of learning this, is it's much easier when your rotation is smaller for everyone to know their roles. You're not going to see 10, 11 guys. You're going to see eight. And Matt, this should be one of the eight. And you hope that he is. So two points to that. One one comparison I wanted to make to Mathis that that I think you, you'll uh, well, well I want to see what you think of this is looking a decade ago. Dean Miller with Rutgers, super talented, super athletic guy, had had the ability to take over games at points, but also you know was very inconsistent and and somewhat unengaged at times. And I'm thinking back on where Mathis is right now, kind of a similar situation. Yeah, Miller was really a good, a big talent. Big talent. And he had a terrific freshman year under Fred Hill where he was probably this runner-up to Big East Rookie of the Year after Lance Stevenson. But a little different comparison because, like, it was pretty clear that Miller, he did not respond to Mike Rice, which, let's be honest, and I always got along with Mike, and I, I like Mike, and a lot of the players loved him, like Jonathan Mitchell and Mike Coburn. They loved him. But some of the players, Mike's style just did not work with them. And Dane was one of those guys. So, like, Michael's not like that. You know, he's not a wallflower, but he's not, he's not like Mike Rice at all. I don't think that's a perfect comparison. I see where you're coming from. You just don't know, Aaron, you don't know a couple things. That, and I don't know them either. You don't know how the pandemic is affecting the mental state of different players. Different players could be affected differently. There's isolation, you know, in the, on the campus. I mean, just even getting that, getting that swab all the way up your nose every day. I mean, I had that done last week. You know, it's awful. And, like, I couldn't imagine getting that thing every day uh, at 6 a.m. or whatever time these guys got to get it. It's just, it's you know, there could be depression. or there could, I'm not saying this is the case. I'm saying there are, what I've been told is, it's just, it's playing out differently with every player, the mental health side of this. So that could impact some of what you're seeing when teams and players are slumping. You just don't know. And the other thing is, you don't know who's in somebody's ear either. You know, are there, are there parents back home? Are there AAU or high school coaches? Are there relatives or confidants or in people's ear about what their role should be versus what it is and what they need to do for them versus what they, in their future, versus what they need to do for the team? You don't know. All I can tell you is that stuff does happen. It does happen. So you don't know if these things are factors or not. 
Were they factors with Dane Miller? Are they factors with any other any player now? I don't know. But there's sometimes more than meets the eye when someone is slumping. And sometimes it's just the shots aren't falling and they're down because of that. So I don't know the answers to these. But Steve Peichel does know. And he's going to have to figure that out, obviously. So you kind of uh, scooped my question, but I had that on my list. Uh, compared him to Willard, just in terms of your experience covering Willard through his career at Seton Hall and Peichel having the learning curve. And how much you think that that has, you know, he, he's always embraced being the underdog role. This team has always embraced the underdog role. This season, obviously, was very different. And when they peaked uh, at number 11 in, in the polls, you can tell when we ask him questions, he's never comfortable talking about national rankings. He, he really is very quick to dismiss it. You know, how much do you think, uh, you touched on it some, but in terms of, aside from the whole COVID thing, which has obviously added a whole nother stress level, he talks about, you know, waiting to get the results sure. each morning. You know, in terms of being in the Big Ten and, and having a team that is considered a top-half team, how much do you think he's learned so far? How much do you think this season is going to benefit him in the long run? It's a great question, and it really is an important question. So when I compare to Willard, first of all, Heifel came to Rutgers a lot more established in his coaching regimen, his ways, than Willard did. He was older, right? He was like, I don't know, 15 years older than Kevin when Kevin got to Seton Hall. Uh, he had won a lot more as a head coach, Heifel did. So. He knew what he wanted, I think, and he knew how to coach as a head coach, how to, how to run a program a lot more than Kevin did. Kevin had to learn a lot of that on the fly. He only had three years that I own under his belt. So that's different. But what's similar is there are major changes when you go into this high-profile Big Ten, Big East, high-major level. One of them is the, the scrutiny and the attention, the, the the spotlight, the brightness of the spotlight is one thing. And the other, as I alluded to earlier, is you're dealing with a lot more when it comes to expectations of players and the people around them than maybe, you know, lower major players who don't aren't convinced that they're going to have a 10-year pro sports career and that what they're doing on the court now has to get them there. Like, that's different at Stony Brook and at Iona than it is at Seton Hall and at Rutgers. So there's ego management there, like expectation management. But Going back to the first thing regarding expectations and the spotlight, yes, no question. And Michael especially is, you know, this is his fifth year at Rutgers, so he knows the spotlight stuff. But the expectations, that's new. There were no expectations here his first four years. Even last year, the expectation was what? They'd get to the NIT and have a winning season? Right. They blew past that. So, like, this is the first year that Steve Peichel has had expectations coupled with the very large spotlight of the Big Ten level. And this is new territory for him. And so I, as someone who's, I've talked with him more than probably anybody else, right, in the media. And I have noticed that he, he does seem to be having a little bit of a tough time with that, with the spotlight. He was, I mean, anybody would be. He was tired of answering questions about, during the losing streak, about yeah. the lo I understand that. But what surprised me a little bit was he seemed a little terse and a little defensive even after their great game against Indiana so I think that's just part of him you know having to figure out how to deal with all the scrutiny and expectations and, and criticism that he has never gotten as a coach before and which a lot of it is really unwarranted you know but a lot of it is just that's part of what happens when you're coaching yeah. at a high major level and your team's ranked 11th and they lose five straight games it would happen to anybody it would happen with any fan base so that's that's something that's all i think it's a lot of new territory for steven like he'll never say this and nor should he but i do believe he's trying to find his way through all this giant you know stage and spotlight that he hasn't had this there's, there's some of that do i think it's affecting his coaching no probably not do i think it's affecting like the way he presents you know in these these 
uh, Zooms we do with him? Maybe a little bit, yeah. You know, we talked about the the day-to-day life that the players have right now. But, uh, you know, one thing I thought was during the losing streak, they they didn't have any, you know, their fan interaction right now is all social media. And we know Peichel doesn't like them to do that. And I, I, I wondered if the losing streak lingered longer because they never were able to get an emotional lift by playing at home in front of fans, even on the road. You know, they've talked about, you know, kind of liking to be back against the wall on the road where, you know, you're playing against 15,000 fans of the other team. They haven't been able to get any emotional lift outside of, you know, being between the lines and, and kind of creating that own urgency on themselves. And I just wonder if this team would be farther ahead if, if that wasn't the case. Two things I was wrong about that I that I said in the in my preseason preview of this team, and they still it still there's still time for it to change. One of them probably won't. I knew the team wasn't a good free throw shooting team. I didn't realize it would be this bad and it would hurt them this bad. So and that's probably not going to change a whole lot. Although they did they did shoot much more serviceably against Indiana, and there's only room to go up really. But the second thing you is really what you asked, and that is I thought this team was veteran enough and experienced enough to not lean on the rack as a crutch, for lack of a better word, as, as something they absolutely needed. I thought they were, they were beyond that, and they might still be, but we did definitely, I think we've definitely seen a drop-off in their performance at home, where they never really had a bad game at home last year. I mean, Michigan came out and beat them. You know, good for Michigan. It was a terrific team. But they never really had a bad performance at home last year for a whole game, and they've had some of those this year. So there's there's some of that. That's that's a maturity thing. Like that's you got to get past that. This is the season you're dealt. You know, it kind of stinks that Rutgers, with this awesome top top ten in the country home court, is bereft of that in the year that they happen to have the best team in two generations. This is like the stars aligning against them. It sucks, but they got to get over it. Like there's no way around it. And so no one has home court. So they, there are other programs that are suffering too without it, but they got to figure that out. So maybe they will. I mean, they beat Illinois at home. They played a brilliant game without anybody there. This is capable of it, but that's mental, you know? So that's on, that's on the leadership and the maturity of the guys to be able to have the gas down for 40 minutes at home with nobody there. So it's it kind of stinks, but this is on them. And can they, can they still do that? Yeah, sure. They can do that. If everyone's in the right frame of mind, they can certainly do it. And that'll be one of the things to watch going forward. So Jerry, just a couple more here. You kind of touched on it just there, but, uh, Talking about Rutgers fans, you've obviously covered a lot of fan bases over the years, specifically Seton Hall Rutgers more than anything. But, you know, how how much do you think uh, – you you know the history as well through, you know, all the, the scandalous coaching regimes and all that. And, but is there a more tortured fan base that you've seen up close than Rutgers? Uh, and, and, and like you said, last year without the tournament, this year without fans, do you think that what, in not making the tournament this year, do, how much do you think that would hurt? The fan base, obviously, but in terms of kind of the out- outlook of Pykele from the fans' perspective, you know, long term. Right, there's a lot. There's a lot there. Let me start by saying I love how the loyalty of Rutgers fans has to be second to none, because there really has not been much to root for in Rutgers basketball over a long period of time until like midway through last season, and the fans still filled that building, and they still they they're still there. So I want to first commend Rutgers fans by saying how incredibly loyal they are. Uh, and that's a wonderful thing. I will say that there is there is like a doom complex a little bit in the fan base that manifests itself at times, which I guess any psychologist could understand, right? I mean, last year being the perfect example, they were going to the NCAA tournament, right? After they won at Purdue, they might have been like an 11 or 12. They were going. They were going. And the freaking thing got canceled. And then, like, your season opener and Baker go comes out on crutches. I mean, I get it. There's a doom complex. 
But what I would say is, you know, there's a lot of season left and things can change real quickly. I still think Rutgers is going to make the NCAA tournament. They have to just kind of, I think if they go, if they get to 10 and 10, which would mean what, six and four back end, they're getting in. If they go five and five in the back end and finish nine and 11, they got a decent chance depending on, they'll need a little help. The biggest thing for Rutgers is, and this is where the doom complex comes in, they have to get the games in. If Rutgers has to do a two-week pause, it could be fatal for them. Like they got to get the games in. They got to play those games on the back end that they should win. And there's no the way the Big Ten schedule and you know the Big East is like this too. The way they built these schedules, there's no room to make up many games. Like maybe one, maybe two. If Rutgers loses two weeks worth of games, and/or if they have teams cancel on them, they're going to start running out of room. And if like Rutgers has to lose, if they miss two or three games against teams they should beat, that could be an absolute killer. So like that's if you the doom thing like that's what I would worry about. I think the team will win enough if they can play to get in the tournament. But I would be very concerned about those things that are out of everybody's control. Like it would just be the the, the crappiest thing ever if this team started to play well again. You know, wins a couple games. You know, beats Minnesota, beats Michigan State, and then has to miss a scratch a couple games, and then can't get to nine or ten or eleven conference wins. That would be terrible. I would be worried about that if I was a Rutgers fan because now they put themselves in a position like Baker used the word hole after the game. He's right. They're in a hole. They can climb out of the hole, but they got to get a chance to climb out of it. So I would worry about that. I still think they will make the NCAA tournament if they get to play out their schedule and they're good enough. And I think they have come a long way in this last game toward fixing what they need to fix. You want to say if they don't make it, I don't really want to deal in hypotheticals like that, but I will because I love you. You guys do great service to the fans with your website and your podcast. If they don't make it, you know, it's going to be crushing because this was this was the year, right? I mean, they were 11th and this team is good and there will be bad circumstances, but it'll be devastating. But I, I don't think anyone should, there's no like, you know, you're not going to want to push Steve Peichel out or lessen his leash. I mean, look at what the guy's done. He's built a program that is respected and competitive out of ashes, out of ashes that he took over when he took over Freddie Jordan, who we all love. But let's face it, the program was was a punchline. So, like, Steve has done that. And he, I know the facility they play in is gorgeous, but that hasn't really helped him until now. Like, he brought in the guys he has now without that. And he's built this team without that. So, like, he's done this from the ashes. So, like, this is not – listen, could he – be doing because he could he have changed that lineup earlier could he have trusted baker like before penn state i think he should have does he do everything perfectly no is he learning on the fly like kevin willard did at this big stage yes Rutgers fans got to give him a little a little latitude in the big picture in the small picture it's certainly everyone should and rightly so expect this team to get in the ncaa tournament and be very disappointed if they don't i still think they will and what i would say to Rutgers fans is hang in there your team is very good, finally healthy, and there's a lot of ball left, God willing. So you do have a lot of things going for you. I agree with you, uh, and I think continuity-wise, they have a real chance now here to, to, to establish that for the first time uh, this season. But playing off the Doom Complex, my biggest concern, I think, I agree with you, I still think they're going to make the NCAA tournament. I think they're still going to pull it together. My biggest concern, to be honest, is, is will there be an NCAA tournament again? Will there be conference tournaments? Is it say say they are nine and eleven and they're they're still playing. There's the Big Ten tournament, or what if that gets canceled and you don't have that chance? Plus, you know, do you think? So my last question is, how confident are you the NCAA tournament will happen again? I know financially it has to happen, but just with COVID, the way it's going right now, 
and um, in, in terms of conference tournaments too, how do you think that whole thing will play out? First, a disclaimer, and is I was wrong about a lot of stuff last year. I did not think COVID would cancel anything, and I was totally was wrong. Like a lot of people, but I was wrong. I can only control me. I was wrong. Um, so I want that to be the disclaimer here. You don't know in a pandemic what things could go sideways. That said, I will be shocked, floored, if there's no NCAA tournament. Because not only is the NCAA tournament critical for the sport, it's critical for college sports. Like that NCAA tournament, people, you know, yes, there are there people who get enriched by the NCAA tournament? Yes. But that NCAA tournament funds all these other sports that aren't football. All of them. It funds all the championships. It funds all the other sports in the department. So, like, you ask any baseball coach, you ask any any uh, hockey coach, any soccer coach, track coach, they're all rooting like hell for there to be an NCAA tournament. And that's <laughs> how important it is to the fortunes of every college sport, not known, not football. So, for those reasons, I believe that they will do whatever it takes to have an NCAA tournament. They will bubble it. They will move the dates if they have to. They will have an NCAA tournament. I do not think they should have conference tournaments, Aaron. I think conference tournaments are asking for trouble because right now, the way the schedule's built, Rutgers' last game is what? Is it March 6th, I think, 5th or 6th? And then the, the, big, the big 10 tournament is scheduled to start like, a, like three or four days later. That's not enough lead-in time. So, and then it ends on, what, a Saturday or Sunday? And then the NCAA tournament starts four or five days later? That's not enough time built in there. So, like, my biggest fears are twofold. One is that they enter this Big Ten tournament without a sufficient amount of isolation time to make sure everyone's clean, and there's an outbreak during a Big Ten tournament. And if that happens, it screws up the Big Ten tournament if a team has to scratch, even if, especially if it's a prominent team, and it screws that team and maybe more teams for the NCAA tournament. What if Iowa or Michigan you know, comes down with COVID in the, in the semifinals of the Big Ten tournament? Then you can't finish the Big Ten tournament. Then they can't play in the NCAA tournament. That's a freaking disaster. So to me, you got to do one of two things. you got to either build in a full week heading into the Big Ten tournament so everyone's isolated and tested and totally clean in a bubble, or you got to scrap the Big Ten tournament, finish your regular season, maybe add an extra day or two or three to get an extra game or two in, and then give teams a long enough run-up to the NCAA so there's not – so if a team – you know, there's no outbreak heading to the NCAA tournament. I'm very concerned about that. So I would uh, – and I say this for all the big conference tournaments, the Big East, I would not have them. Now, I'm not the broker with TV who has the time slots set and is trying to make TV money. You're not going to make any fan money off these conference tournaments. Fan money is in ticket sales. But to me, they got to go. And I would focus on doing everything in your power, finish as much regular season as you can, and then make sure the NCAA tournament goes off without a devastating scratch. And to me, that's what it should, the focus should be. Those are great points, and uh, I think that is uh, also the question. If too, you know, if the NCAA tournament, obviously, let's say it does happen, you know, how many high-profile teams get knocked out from COVID before it even happens, and and then does that question the integrity of the actual tournament this well, year? It would. It would if they do it right, though. If they do it right, and if there's enough lead in time, the answer will be no teams will, because that's what a bubble does. Like we saw it with the NBA. The NBA had several weeks in that bubble before they played the first game, right? And they never had any disruptions. So, like, if you – they're not going to have three weeks in the, in the bubble before they start the NCAA tournament, but they need at least a full week, at least seven at least seven days isolation before they start the NCAA tournament, and then they can – chances are pretty high that they can get through it without a scratch. But as it's set now, 
teams are wrapping up their conference tournaments on Saturday, Sunday, and then the ball goes up on Thursday, Friday. That's not enough time. You need a couple more days. So I'd like to see the schedule get changed. Well, hopefully, uh, Jerry, we're, we'll we'll talk again when uh, we're getting ready for Rutgers' first NCAA tournament appearance uh, in 30 years. And uh, we'll have that to look forward to, hopefully. So hopefully you can come back for that. And uh, you said you were wrong several times in this podcast, but I want to reiterate how, how right you are so many times, too. So thank you for everything and I appreciate all your insight. Thanks, Aaron. And hopefully, like I said, as someone who wants to see the teams we cover in the NCAA tournament, hopefully I'm right about that big prediction. Thanks again to Jerry Carino for joining us uh, on the podcast. I I have to say that that was a pleasure for me. I've gotten to know Jerry over the years covering Rutgers, and he's always been gracious with his time and just his guidance for me running on the bank. So obviously happy to hear his optimism. I I, I do feel the same way. I think that Rutgers is going to figure things out. I think, you know, the biggest concern is just things that, that they can't worry about, can't control, which is, COVID-19 and how that's going to, how the rest of the college basketball season as a whole will play out. But thanks again to Jerry. I will say, you know, as Rutgers fans, you know, uh, we're four and six going into the second half of the season. It's been a roller coaster ride already being ranked most of the season and having this five game losing streak. And I think it's going to be a roller coaster down the stretch as well. I think that this team obviously has the experience. They have the talent. We know that if they're fully committed on the defensive end, if they, they share the basketball offensively, basically, Let's be honest, if their heads are straight, this team is going to be able to, to do what they still wanted to do entering the season, and that's break this 30-year NCAA tournament drought. I still have full confidence they will, and I hope that Rutgers fans uh, still believe that they can do it. This week is a big one, Michigan State and Northwestern. So two wins this week will really we'll put them right back at 500 with a chance to uh, play Minnesota at the rack next week. And as bad as this five-game losing streak was, they're a half a game out of seventh place. So I think finishing in the top half of the Big Ten is certainly still realistic, and I still think they will. So thank you for joining us. Appreciate all of that read on the banks on a regular basis, and be well and stay safe. Follow On the Banks on Twitter at OTB underscore SB Nation and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts. Just search On the Banks Podcast.